Good morning, faith family. It's good to see you. If you got a Bible, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. While you're turning there, I need to give it just a very quick uh, announcement from our next initiative. Let me give you a very quick update on what we've brought in thus far. After last Sunday, we have, I believe it's $446,000 that have come in for our next initiative. So we are thankful for that. Very appreciative of the way that you have sacrificed uh, and given uh, to support uh, an initiative that we feel is very needed uh, to take place here. And uh, we've given information and stuff out about that. Now, here's the good news and the bad news. If you're like me, I like the bad news first. It's not really that bad. Um, we are not going to be able to start as aggressively as we'd hoped to. Uh, we'd hoped to cover kind of a larger area at the beginning, uh, but we're not going to be able to do that. However, the good news is we have received enough that we're able to work with our contractors and, and all those plans to do a little different phasing. So we will be able to start on some needed areas one week from tomorrow. So we're really excited to be able to start that project, to be able to get those things addressed. What it does mean for us is that we have to continue to be engaged in that. Uh, this is just the beginning of starting it. It affects over 40% of our campus. And so um, just because we're starting, it doesn't mean that we're done, all right? So we need to continue to give and be faithful in doing that. Uh, and we trust that God will continue to work. So thank you so much for the way that you've given. Trust that you'll continue to do so. If you have questions, and I'm sure some of you probably have some detailed questions, uh, just go by the display uh, out in the commons. Uh, there'll be people there after the service uh, each week, and you can ask questions and see pictures and, and the strategy and all that. So go, go by there. All right, you ready for 2 Corinthians chapter 4? Let's do this. We're going to finish our Promises series this morning. I trust that you've been encouraged by that over the last few weeks. Uh, the intent here has been get your mind right as you think about a new year. To have some promises that God has given us that helps us have the right perspective, that no matter if this is the best year or the worst year, we can believe in this and we can really live our life out of these promises that God has given us. So, Let's stand for the reading of God's Word as we look at 2 Corinthians 4, and beginning at verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what's been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into His presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. 
so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is God's Word. Pray with me. Um, Father, I need You to come and plant hope in us. Come and do the work of Your Spirit in our lives. Spirit, I believe that there are some in this room that You need to lift their chin up. You need to fill their life with the hope of the Gospel. And if there's one here this morning and they don't know Jesus, Spirit, come, convict, bring life to dead bones. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If medical technology could determine when and how you would die, would you want to know? Tell me how you really feel. (laughs) That was actually the question of a research article that I read not long ago that talked about medical technology and scientific discovery and how potentially there could be a day when they could predict in certain people a genetical predisposition to certain incurable diseases. In other words, a doctor might be able to tell you at age 18 or 19 or 20 that you would, with certainty, have an incurable disease later on in life. And the question of the article was not, will medical technology someday be able to do that? The question was, would you want to know that information? Because it's one thing to tell a 20-year-old, hey, you're prone to heart disease, and there are some things that you could do now to prevent that. It's an entirely different thing to tell somebody at 20 years of age, by the time you turn 70, you're going to have advanced stages of dementia, you'll not be able to recognize anybody in your family, and there's not a single thing you can do to stop it. And the question was, how would what you know about your future impact the way you live now? And I thought, that's a really important question. It's an important question because it's true. Namely, what you believe about your future does impact the way you live now. And that's not just true with medical stuff. If you knew for certain that the person that you're dating was not going to be the person that you would marry, it would affect the nature of that relationship. If you knew for certain that at tax time, you were going to receive a $20,000 refund, just play along, That would impact the way you see your current financial situation. If you knew that your team was going to win the game, you know, like you DVR'd it and then somebody tells you that they won, would you get nervous at halftime when they're losing? No. 
It's because what you know about the future has everything to do with how you live now. It's why every one of us in this room has made this statement before. If I had known then what I know now, I would have done something different. How you live now has everything to do with what you believe your future to be. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul teaches the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. They are, you will remember from a couple of weeks ago, facing a great deal of trial and tribulation. They are dealing with, again, human philosophy. We talked about that. Sexual immoralities running rampant in, in Corinth as well as the Corinthian church. But now by the time the Apostle Paul writes a second letter, there's something else going on in Corinth, specifically in the church of Corinth. They are dealing with false teachers, better known as the super apostles. And the super apostles were impressive. They were, I mean, they would come with signs and miracles and they would wow you. I mean, they were the ancient Near Eastern equivalent of the power team, if you've ever seen the power team. By the way, if God ever calls me out of preaching, I think I might join the power team. (laughs) What are you laughing at? But you watch them and you would just say, wow, that's awesome. Look at what they can do. These super apostles would impress you. And so what they did is they went after the apostle Paul. They wanted to discredit his ministry. They wanted to say he's not really an apostle. And they attacked him in three ways. Number one, they said he's ugly. He fell down the ugly tree, he had every branch. And the truth is, I'm I'm somewhat being funny, but the truth is there is some biblical evidence to the fact that Paul wasn't a very attractive man, and they tried to discredit him because of that. And not only is he unattractive, they also said he's, he's not able to speak very well. He doesn't have great rhetoric. He doesn't have great oratory skills. He's not wise in the ways of science. He, he can't speak the way we speak. And not only that, the last thing is he's jinxed. Everywhere he goes, bad things follow. Conclusion, God's not with him. So if the trials and temptations weren't enough, and the pull from the culture away from truth wasn't enough, now the very foundation of what started this church in Corinth, namely the Apostle Paul, is being questioned, and the Corinthians are saying, I'm tired. I'm tired. I feel like I'm getting punched everywhere I look. And not only that, the Apostle Paul himself is taking personal character attacks. And so here's the question, how do you respond in the midst of suffering? Notice what Paul says in verse 1. Now, I read this and I'm like, I want that. Now that you know the context, look at verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. You ain't stopping me. You're not going to hold me back. Verse 16, he says it again. It's like a theological sandwich. 
So we do not lose heart. He says it at the beginning of the chapter and close to the end of the chapter. Look here. Paul's got something. Paul has something that allows him to look right in the face of suffering, right in the face of persecution, right in the face of being personally attacked and saying, I won't lose heart. You can't get me. What is it? And don't you want that? Don't you want, like, are you not drooling like I am to say, whatever that is, I want that. I don't want to lose heart when times get difficult because here's what I know, times get difficult. In fact, I know that many of you in this room have suffered to varying degrees. So, what do we do? How do we not lose hope? Is there a promise that God has for us? Oh, you better believe it. Notice, first of all, what Paul says about the suffering. He responds to his critics. And look at verse 5 and verse 7. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And now verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. All right, Corinthians, come in here close, because I think Paul would say, come in here close. You better get this straight. You're suffering. I'm suffering. Write this down. When it comes to the Christian life, this life is not about your comfort. It's about God's glory. Because your tendency and my tendency when we suffer, when we're persecuted, when life gets hard, is to get bitter, angry, or defensive. Why? Because I'm too often more about my name than I am God's name. This is not about us. We're not doing this for ourselves, Paul says. This is about the glory of God. And the more I exalt myself the less likely I will be to embrace the suffering that God may bring in my life. That's really helpful. Suffering sometimes exposes self-centeredness, at least it does in my life. But notice how Paul responds to his critics here. He doesn't respond with attack. So when Paul says, verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to to, to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us, he's not going to attack like, you going to say that about me, super apostles, with just how big old boy are you? I mean, let's just step outside back at Corinthians somewhere and we'll duke this out. He doesn't say that. He doesn't complain, you know, like Tom Brady, they hurt my feelings or, you know, whatever. You know, don't you know I'm a snowflake? I'm an apostle. Don't you say stuff about me? He doesn't say that. He doesn't boast and brag. Do you know how many churches I've started? You know how many Christians are Christians today because of my ministry? He doesn't say that. His response is, yeah, we have this treasure in jars of clay. What's he saying? Jars of clay or clay pots, were the most common vessel in the ancient Near East and easily broken. Paul uses a a metaphor, an imagery here of something that's extremely common. Why? Here's what he's saying. The super apostles are saying that I'm plain, I'm unimportant, and I don't have anything of great significance. Here's my reply. They're right. 
because this isn't about me. But the fact that there's nothing ultimately significant about me isn't a testimony that God is not for me. It's actually a sign of the amazing grace that he has displayed of his power and the things he's done in my life. Believing the gospel means this. You don't have to act like you are somebody because you already are somebody in Jesus. So you don't have to defend yourself when they persecute you and when suffering comes into your life. You're able to rest and say, if I am a jar of clay, if I am a clay pot that is easily broken, then I am not above suffering. Man, that's good. Paul, thank you. Because he, the great apostle, was not above suffering. Listen to what he's going to say just in a few chapters later in chapter 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, but I didn't inhale. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. No, it's the kind where you throw rocks. Lest you misinterpret this and move to Colorado. I know, that was low. Three times shipwrecked, a night and day adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from, listen to this, rivers, robbers, my own people, Gentiles in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, from false brothers, in toil and hardship, many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, like, really? There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Corinthians were not above suffering. Don't lose heart. You're not above this. I'm not above this. We are jars of clay. And not only are we jars of clay, we are followers of Jesus Christ. Verse 11. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Christians, don't be shocked that you're suffering. Why? What is a Christian? A Christian is a follower of this man. A man suffering, a man who was beaten, a man who was mistreated, a a man who was devalued, a man who said physically he was nothing to look at. I tell you, Corinthians, suffering doesn't mean God's not for me. Suffering is just the way in which I identify with him. Philippians 3.10, that I might know him in his sufferings. The late Rich Mullins, one of my favorite Christian artists before he passed, told a story one time about when men in Ireland who were fishermen, before they would go out to sea, their wives would give them a sweater with a special design, all unique. And the reason they would do this is because while the fishermen were out at sea, it was very common for a big storm to come, and sometimes the entire crew would be lost 
at sea, and by the time their bodies would wash up on the shore, they would be unrecognizable. So the only way they could be identified was with the design on their sweater. And Rich was talking about the sufferings and the hardships in his life, and he said, I almost imagine that it might be like one day we wash upon heaven's shore, unrecognizable because of the sufferings of this life. And the angels walk by and they say, what is this? Somebody needs to throw out the garbage. And they go to pick it up, and Jesus walks in and says, wait a minute, that one's mine. Don't you see? They're wearing my sweater. Corinthians, don't lose heart because you're suffering. We're jars of clay. We are prone to this. And we are followers of Jesus Christ, a suffering Savior. And lastly, don't be surprised at your suffering because verse 16, we're members of creation, a fallen creation. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Can I get an amen on that? Anybody's outer self wasting away? I thought so. Your body ages. Relationships are broken. Your skills fade. Your face, wrinkles. It's why you get married before you turn ugly, right? (laughs) I apologize for speaking the truth, right? (laughs) Listen, life in a fallen world, we know this to be true, is like a wave at the beach. As soon as it comes on shore, it starts to recede. Now, at this point, I want to say, where was that whole don't lose heart part? Where was all that? You you prayed earlier. Fill us with hope. This isn't very hopeful. What was all that one in a million talk? You know, come on. We are jars of clay. We are followers of Christ. We are members of a fallen creation, which means suffering comes with the territory. But if you think for a second that the Apostle Paul is wallowing in hopelessness, if you think for a second that the Apostle Paul is drowning in despair, you got another thing coming. This man is confident. Look at verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. The idea here in the Greek for the word afflicted is stressed. How many of you have ever been stressed? I mean like stressed, like bearing down. That's the Greek imagery. We are afflicted, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. That word perplexed means to be at wit's end. How many of you have ever said that? I'm just at my wit's end. You're like, I said that this morning. It means to be at a loss. Like, I got, I got nothing. It's interesting, the Greek here has a play on words. It could literally be read like this. I'm at a loss, but I'm never at a loss. I'm at a loss, but I'm never at a loss. I am perplexed, confused, but I'm not in despair. Third, I am persecuted, 
but not forsaken. The, the idea there for persecuted is a word that was used for hunting animals. Like somebody's after you. Think of like movie scenes where somebody's being chased and they have that feeling, what, of being alone and afraid because somebody is after them. That's the idea here in the Greek. And Paul is saying this, look right here. You feel alone, but you're never alone. People are after you, but there's always somebody with you. And fourth, struck down, but not destroyed. The Greek idea for struck down literally means to be struck down. It's deep. It's real deep. It's the idea of being beat to the ground with a weapon. It's like theologian Mike Tyson once said, Everybody has a game plan until they get punched in the mouth. And Paul is saying, we know what it's like to be punched, to be hit, to be down on the ground, but we get up. We get up. Why? Why is it that we're afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed? Paul knows something. And it's why he doesn't lose heart. He knows something. There's a promise that God has given him, that is, he has given every child of God, that is at the anchor of his life, so that no matter what the super apostles say about him, no matter how hard the pressure gets in Corinth, we won't lose heart. Do you want it? Do you really want it? Do you want to live life out of it? Now, before I tell you what it is and show you what it is in the text, I, I want to make this connection because I think this is important. Paul uses this word that we see in verse uh, 16, being renewed day by day. He only uses that word one other place in the New Testament. It's in Colossians 3.10, having put on the new self, which is being, right here, renewed in knowledge. I want you to get this. Here's what Paul is saying. And I'm not talking about like knowledge, like, you know, the Sunday school answer and some academic thing or just intellectual. I'm talking about Paul knows something in his mind that when he dwells on it, it translates to his heart, renewed hope. Did you get that? He knows something in his mind that when he thinks on it, it stirs up in his heart a renewal of hope. What is it? Verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Verse 16, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is, here it is, being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Here's the point in one sentence. Get this, Berean. Daily renewal to endure suffering comes through dwelling on the promise of your glorious future. Daily renewal. I'm talking today, comes through meditating on the promise of a glorious future. 
Why? Your future has everything to do with how you live in the present. Which is why the New Testament, over and over again, holds out for suffering Christians the hope of tomorrow because it impacts your now. Let me give you just a couple of examples real quickly. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the suffering of this what? Present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In other words, your future impacts your now. 1 Peter chapter 1, this is 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Oh, watch this, right here, right here, on the screen. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then notice the next two words. In this. In what? In that inheritance that's being kept for you. In that salvation that's going to be revealed in the last time. In this, what do you do? You rejoice, though you're kidding me. Now. Present. For a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. 2 Peter 3.13, but according to to His promise, we are waiting, present, for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Hebrews 13, 13 and 14, therefore let us go to Him outside the camp, bear the reproach that He endured, present behavior. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. I'll give you one more. You say the horse is dead. I'm going to beat it one more time. (laughs) You're leaving with this. If I have to come out there. In John chapter 14, the disciples are totally distraught. You know why? Jesus has just told them, I'm going back to heaven. I'm going to die, be raised, and I'm going to ascend. And the disciples are like, you can't do that. You can't leave us. No! And here's what Jesus says. You know it, don't you? What does He say? Let not your heart be troubled. Which sounds awfully similar to don't lose heart. Why? Believe in God! Believe also in me. Why, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Disciples, your future has everything to do with your perseverance now. Don't lose heart. As Martin Luther in that great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, wrote, Did we in our strength confide, our striving would be losing? 
We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. Let good and kindreds go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. What truth? His kingdom is forever. They may chop your head off. Jesus puts it back on. What you believe about your future has everything to do with how you live in the now. You may feel afflicted, but you won't be crushed. You may be perplexed. You will not be driven by despair. You may be persecuted. You will not be forsaken. You may be struck down, but you won't be destroyed. If you believe that you'll one day trade in every ounce of suffering for a weight of glory that you cannot even imagine. Here's what I want you to take home with you. Because this series has been get your mind right, get our minds right for a new year. Remember this simple phrase. And I hope it'll come back in August or November. Whatever happens to you this year, do not let the temporary steal your eternity. No matter what happens this year, do not let anything temporary steal your eternity. Let the weight of future glory make whatever you deal with this year seem light and momentary. Let eternal glory be so ever-present on your mind that it makes whatever you face this year seem like a moment. Because your worst-case scenario... Here it is. You ready? Here's your worst case scenario. You live 80 something years and you suffer every single day of it only to be given eternity of glory. That's worst case scenario. And I'd trade that any day and twice on Sunday for 80 plus years of ease without Jesus and spend eternity suffering. What you believe about your future has everything to do with how you live in the present. And if that's true, and I believe it is, here's what I, here's what I know. Just very quickly, let me say this to you. Do you know what your enemy who hates your guts, like he despises you? He makes you think he likes you, but he's out to ruin your life. Do you know what he's trying to do to you? He's trying to get you to live in the past or not get beyond the present. And for some of you, he's been really successful at doing that. And C.S. Lewis writes in his book, Screwtape Letters, and it's a fictional but but very practical account of, of strategies that demonic forces would use to tempt us. Here's what he said from their perspective. Quote, he, that is God, would therefore have them, Christians, continually concerned with their eternity, which means being concerned with Him, meditating on their eternal union with Him, and else, hear this, else obeying the present voice of conscience, the pre- bearing a present cross, receiving the present grace, and giving thanks for the present pleasure. Our business is to get them away from the eternal 
So let me ask you a couple questions and we'll close. Hear these. Number one is this. How often do you think about eternity? That's morbid. What? Morbid. That's glorious. And as long as God has us here, He has work for us to do. But do you stop and think about eternity? Maybe that's why you're stuck. Question two, and maybe the most important question all eyes right here, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Oh, dear friend, if you're here, you're here for a reason. Hear my voice. If you don't know Jesus, this promise does not apply to you. And maybe the, why, the reason you feel so hopeless is because your future is impacting your present because your future doesn't have Jesus in it. But that could change today if you would repent of your sin and put your faith in Him and live by His grace the rest of your life, not for your comfort, but for His glory. Here's a third question. Has the suffering of the now stolen the joy of what's to come? Has the suffering of the now stolen the joy of what's to come? Or what about this question? Are you living by what you see or by what you do not see? Right here quickly. See, here's Paul. Okay, so here's the suffering. He's not an apostle. We're going to tear him down. And Paul says, you're standing right there, but I see around you. I got eyes of faith. And what's so sad, what, what, separ what should separate a Christian from a non-Christian is the ability to see beyond the physical. There are way too many people that all they can see is cancer. All they can see is the casket. But Christians are able to see, I grieve at that, but I don't end there. That's right. There's something behind it the world can't see that only the eyes of faith can. And we've got to train ourselves as Christians to see what you can't see. Let me conclude it this way, the way that summarizes uh, the text and in a lot of ways just my heart of this whole series of promises. It's an account in John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress, if you've ever read that book. It, it's a, a story about a main character named Christian and his friend Hopeful, and they find themselves trapped, enslaved, handcuffed in Doubting Castle. They are imprisoned. And they are discouraged, they are defeated, they've been beaten, they've been starved by the giant of despair. In fact, Bunyan says Christian is even considering taking his own life. And then one Sunday morning, Christian remembers that he had been given a key. The key's name? promise. And even though it was rusty from lack of use, he remembered that he had been given a promise in the castle of doubt, and he takes that key of promise, and he unlocks his chains, and he unlocks the prison door, and he and Hopeful escape from Doubting Castle. And because they applied the promise that they had been given, they are met on their journey by four shepherds. 
one of the shepherds asks if Christian would like to see through his perspective glass, and Christian says, sure, so that he could gaze into the celestial city. Christian looks, and he says, it's glorious. Oh, how I can't wait to get there. And Hopeful says, how long until we arrive? And the shepherd says, sooner than you think, but longer than you'll wish. And because they had applied the promise that they had been given and seen a glimpse of the celestial city, the two men returned back to their journey with fresh enthusiasm, or as Bunyan writes it, quote, they went away singing. From the point of suicide to the point of being locked in a castle of doubt to what? Persevering in the journey. Why? They caught a glimpse of their glorious future. Friends, I do not know if medical technology will ever be able to tell you when or how you'll die. But I believe with every ounce of my being that the Bible tells you what will happen when you do. And if you know Jesus, you have been given a promise of a glorious, amazing future. And the promise of your future has everything to do with how you live right now. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. God, encourage us. Fill us with that hope. Help us acknowledge the reality of life in a fallen world. We are not above suffering. And even though we've been punched in the face many times, we continue to get up because we don't lose heart. And we don't lose heart because we know something. And what we know is that this world is passing away, but Jesus is forever. Help our knowledge of that renew our hearts with hope. In Jesus' name, amen.